piece of advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast by film students about movies, making movies, and other stuff. Hey everybody, welcome back to Around the Craft Table. I'm your host today, Miles, and this week I'm joined by my friend Luke. Hey. My other friend Will. Hey, how's it going? And our very special guest this week, uh, filmmaker Melissa. Hey. This week we're going to talk about Melissa's film, Haunted. Why don't you start with giving us a basic overview of the um, plot of the movie? Well, um, it I like to put it as a romantic thriller instead of just a horror film. It takes place in the modern era with a few twists from like the late 1930s. Our main focal point is Anne St. Cyr. Uh, Anne is a ghost that inhabits... Uh, a house that a young couple moves into and they, you know, have some experiences. How did you come up with the idea and what sort of gestated the idea for you? My final project was completely different from the original concept. Uh, The original concept was surrounding a haunted house that had um, a bunch of different backstories, not just like the main one. And there was no real, like, ghost. It was just the house itself that was haunted. But I couldn't really play that in in a fun way. So I had to kind of go around that. But, uh, yeah, it's focused on my house, actually, which is haunted. And <laughs> I kind of just wrote about what I knew. Wait, your, your house is haunted, Melissa? It's How so? legitimately haunted. Like, terrifyingly haunted. How so? Care to elaborate? <laughs> like, uh... Doors will lock behind you. Uh, lights will go like on and off periodically. You will hear noises when no one else is home. And it's not just like old house noises. It's like you think something glass is broken. You run downstairs. You can't see anything. Like nothing's broken. It's just really creepy. Have you ever seen uh, red rum written on the walls? No, but actually white wine was on there once. So that's odd. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank nice. you. Wow. <laughs> Was it your red wine? Oh, uh, wait, no, I just got it. Oh, my God. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's, that's really that's funny. Um, with writing a story like this, there's a number of, of ways you can approach it um, in terms of it being particularly scary or particularly, you know, like, nail-bitingly thrilling. What sort of themes were you trying to hit with this, this script? Was it Were you aiming for shock scare or um an intellectual thriller that deals with a ghost or sort of a genuine right down the middle love story where where would this land it originally started out just horror i wanted to be scary but i am not the best at that kind of writing so i kind of played to my strengths a little with the romance to tie it all in the only thrills are like a couple of jump scares and then the overall kind of suspense that it puts you in you know how long have you been working on this particular... I know you said that the, the, the draft changed uh, quite a bit from conception to uh, shooting, but how long have you been sort of sitting on this story? Is it just this year? Is it the past couple months? Is it a while and you've been working your way toward um, telling it? or has? Uh, actually, yeah, it was just the past couple months, you know. Um, I wanted to kind of branch out from what I normally do, which is kind of more realistic type things so I wanted to you know 
have a kind of off-countered world that was just also kind of real to me. So I, yeah, it's been a couple months. Yeah, I just really wanted to write it in the moment. What sort of um, challenges did you face in terms of putting the movie together from from a crew standpoint, which is, I guess, where we can begin to introduce Will and Luke and they can sort of explore and explain their roles a little bit on the shoot. But what sort of challenges did you face in terms of finding locations or uh, auditions and those sorts of things? Well, the location was really easy. I decided to use my own house um, because, you know, film it where it was, you know, made. like, uh, And... I like the look of my house and it, I kind of modeled my story around my house. So I had already that specific look in mind. So yeah, it was just easier. It does fit the movie really well. Yeah. It's creepy, right? Yeah. yeah it looks really good. Yeah. Was this the first time you'd auditioned actors? How did you find the audition process? Um, was it difficult for you to find the right person? Did they sort of fall into your lap? Well, this film has definitely been the most elaborate one I've ever done. Um, the... It was my first time auditioning people. I didn't do a standard audition where they came in. I got video auditions first and then I met with the people that I liked and then kind of got to know more about them like in a real sense. Uh, let's see. It started off, uh, I just posted onto the our film group um, on Facebook and you know I had a bunch of people reach out to me um, and I reached out as well to one of my friends who's an actress who I've always loved working with. Her name is Lauren and um, she plays our ghost. So I knew I had my ghost in mind. So I really had to find uh, an Olivia and Jason. And uh, surprisingly enough, uh, for Jason, I always had Jack in mind to play him, but I couldn't get Jack originally. I actually started off with another actor and uh, Things happened in closer to production he had to pull out so I reached out to Jack and thankfully he was able to help us out um, and yeah Monica really she gave a wonderful audition it was very dramatic and she was just really real with it and I really liked her as a person so you know it all kind of came together nicely that's good to hear that it was sort of a natural um, process for you uh, in terms of, like, pre-production, are you the type of director that does, like, did you do a lot of documentation on paper of, of, you know, storyboards or breakdowns of your script, blocking diagrams, those sorts of things? Or did you just sort of, I guess, wing it is the word I'll use, although that seems a little... Yeah, I, I did a mix of winging it and writing stuff down. Like, I had script breakdowns, you know, I kept, like, notes of what I wanted to do and I storyboarded only the scenes that I really thought were the most important but I didn't really do a thorough job throughout for storyboarding or like preparation in that sense because I kind of wanted to see how it felt in the moment. Had you considered doing much in the way of prepping and sort of decided against it then or was it just sort of a you just following your natural instincts? I wanted to cover my bases for prepping for sure. Uh, but yeah, I really kind of just wanted to trust my instincts on this one. It was my first time like really directing a bigger scale production where I had more than just like one person on camera helping me out. Um, 
but I honestly it was just a really kind of natural thing and I, I play a lot of things out in my head so it, it was really hard to kind of write things down how I imagine them I can only like express them to like my crew and my cast with what I wanted you know yeah um yeah I, I can sort of relate to having been there myself as director figuring out should I you know should I write stuff down or should I just wing it yeah with regard to like uh costumes and stuff and how much of that did you have planned out in in the writing stages versus how much of it was discovered in prep we had a flashback scene where we had to kind of have 30s costumes and then the regular costumes that they would wear in the modern times it was just like whatever felt natural for the actors to wear and they they brought like really nice stuff so i wasn't mad with any of it like they sent me pictures of course beforehand but was it the same sort of with with like uh, every aspect, props and makeup as well, or did you was that all sort of more meticulously thought through? Props were really thought through. I wrote a lot of it into the script, like what kind of props needed to be there. The costumes took the longest, to be honest. I had to go to a bunch of different costume places until I found what I was looking for at the back of our own theater department. I had to like literally dig through piles on the ground because they were just moving in. Yeah, I guess we could. This is a good time to segue into uh, sort of your guys' roles in the production, and I guess move more into the shooting process of things. So I guess we'll start with you, Will. Um. Uh. Well. Okay. Uh. Just my role, I guess. Um. So I had, I guess two roles in the production. Mainly post-production, I was, uh, or I currently am, uh, the editor of the film, and I'm going to be working on color uh, and color correction as well. Um, I also did all the effects in the film. There's not really a, a ton, but there's just a couple. Um, they're not super intense or anything, but um, there are a couple effects, I guess. And also on set, I was, um, uh, I was, I was, uh, I was just doing the slate basically, but. Um, Still, I was helping out as needed on set, so I didn't have a super creative role on set, but uh, definitely a useful one, I would say, or hopefully. Yeah, I was useful. I was useful to my future self by slating. <laughs> oh yeah, you're slating. It was top-notch slating, might I add. It is. I now understand how important it is. <laughs> it's uh, that's important for those of you up and coming and listening, that's important that you slate properly. Yeah, you're like a PA, PA I'd say, on, on set. Was it the same for you, Luke? Were you sort of just a PA sort of extra pair of hands to... Yeah, pre pretty much. And I was also, I guess, just on lighting. Uh, I was only there for one day. Um, so Thomas was lighting for most of the shoot, but the day I was there, I helped with lighting and then PA and, uh, yeah, just helped around set. So once you had everything written and you had all your props and your costumes and stuff found, uh, and you began to get into the final days of pre-production and things started to roll on set, um, how much did the, the script change the story was? Did things change a lot? or? Yeah. Uh, I had all the actors beforehand, before coming in, uh, kind of read through the script, you know, tell me what kind of worked for them and if there was some lines that they're like it doesn't sound very natural or you know I can't really say this the way you want it you know I would change it or rewrite it really quick but on the day you know it took a couple tries to get them comfortable with the lines but once they were like they got it and it was really good 
That's good to hear. Uh, with regard to um, stuff like changing dialogue and things like that, are you typically, as a director, open to that sort of thing, or is it something you pr like? Oh yeah, I'm very completely open to that. Yeah, because the base story still stands. It's just you know tweaking a couple lines. It won't really change anything unless it was a a major line that was needed for the story. I was totally okay with whatever they decided to do. W was it the same for um, doing doing the uh, the takes and things? Did you did you sort of were you rigid in terms of the number of takes and how judiciously you shot the film, or were you open in terms of uh, takes and allowing people to try things while you're rolling? Uh, generally, yeah, we took a lot of takes for uh, all of the shots, really. Um, I would say, I, I, if I saw something that I liked and I knew it would work, then, you know, we'd get, like, one after for safety. But I wouldn't usually make them go past uh, once they got it. But sometimes it took, like, a couple tries. Like, I think there was one scene in, like, our original edit that had, like, up to 13 shots just to get one thing down. <laughs> and it didn't even end up working. So we had to reshoot that, and we got something so much better, which was great. But, yeah, so it took a lot of shots. <laughs> but I think we got it, and it was good. About how many shots did you say you... Would you say uh, you shot for the whole for the whole project collectively oh gosh um i think will might be able to answer that better than i can will do you have any idea yeah uh yeah i was gonna say will, will probably knows probably 35 maybe different shots 30 i think probably closer to 35 like 30 or 35 actually no it seems like a lot not well it depends on the size of the production uh well some scenes we had a lot of coverage while other scenes was just like a couple shots but my guess is probably like i'll say 25 to 30 probably you know probably closer to 25 i'll say 25 but it's really hard for me to gauge um but yeah probably probably about 25 from what i remember so i know at least on one scene we had i think like 10 or something like that 10 different setups if not more um did you leave with regard to setups and covers and things, did you did you have that pretty nailed down, or was there a lot of room for experimentation there as well, or did you know exactly what you wanted, and is that why you think maybe there was sort of a uh, a relatively straightforward shooting process for you? Um, you know, I thought we got like all everything the first time around. Like I thought, uh, you know, everything was fine, but it turned out you know some things didn't quite work how I wanted them to, and which which happened so. Like, I was able to pull together a reshoot really, like, quickly, and we got it done. But, uh, yeah, there was just a lot of coverage and a lot of things that I kind of just wanted to make sure we had our bases covered with, really. Sure, and just sort of, just make sure you sort of dotted your I's and crossed all your T's, as they say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> what was the aesthetic you were headed for? Was it special, or was it sort of straightforward and... By the book. It does have a different look. Um, what I kind of wanted to do was for the outside world or any scenes outside, I wanted them to be a little more dull, a little bit, you know, uninteresting. And then when we got inside was when we got to experiment with the lights and we used a lot of warm tones uh, inside whenever the ghost was around. And then we'd kind of go to a more neutral tone whenever she wasn't. So we kind of had um, a really nice aesthetic that way with... Uh, color but 
other than that, it wasn't too elaborate. Yeah, it was pretty, like, a, a lot of the light I found to be, it, it, there was a big contrast between what was outside and then what was inside. So, like, a lot of the stuff with the ghost was super dark, and really all, all the detail you can see was, like, on the people's faces, so it was a lot more intimate and personal. Or outside, you can see a lot more detail in the, in the environment around. So, I mean, and, like, there's a lot of wider shots outside to, like, I don't know. I, I found that the inside stuff was a lot more personal and, like, intimate. How, how uh, both of you, and Will, too, as the editor, how do you, f how do you feel, like, that the personal stuff played, especially with it being a warmer color palette for when the ghost is around? Because typically in ghost-related films, be it straight horrors or thrillers or whatever... The ghosts are typically done in a colder palette. Things are a little bit colder because, you know, the person's dead and you sort of want to evoke that. But you seem to contradict that here, and I'm interested in uh, why, I guess, and how do you feel it played um, in the final edit? Well, first and foremost, like, it, the love story was Anne's love story, the ghost's love story. So, you know she had like a warmer tone to begin with and I kind of wanted to like state that she wasn't bad she was just no, she, she, she's pretty bad <laughs> oh eventually she does something but starts out with you know she's just this poor girl who you know killed herself when her fiance died so she's always kind of had this missing piece but when uh you know it's her house so she feels comfortable there and you know it's warm around her and I kind of just liked that idea instead of it being about her being cold and angry and brooding, you know? I thought there was, like, a softness. And there's even a... There's, like, you even have the line in there where she's like, um, this is my this is my house. Like, she literally says that to Olivia's uh, character. Um, she says, like, this is my house and then tells, tells her to leave, but <laughs> still, it, she literally says it's her house. Yeah, and then anything during the daytime in the house was just daylight. So it had this very kind of like natural feel with the candlelight and with the, just the sunlight that I really liked. I think it turned out really well for what we were set up to accomplish. Yeah. Also, also practically like a lot of the, the lighting was motivated by the fact that the characters were in a house that had no power. So there's a lot of candlelight and uh, there, there were literally just like all the light inside was, from fire so like we had to like mimic that or create that if we weren't using actual fire so um like oh yeah it wasn't just yeah it was a lot like practically we had to like make it warmer as well with with regard to it being the ghost love story i guess this is this might be an obvious question but there's some exploration into your thought process in in the standard ghost tropes the ghost is sort of the villain it sounds to me like you wanted to sort of play Anne. Like you said, as somebody who's misunderstood and not not necessarily wanting to uh, frighten. Oh yeah, it was really important for me not to make her kind of the villain. I wanted her to be like the one you kind of root for, it, you know? Because like the Jason and Olivia are the couple, but you kind of root for Anne to win. <laughs> she didn't really start off as the villain because the characters weren't really scared of her; they just wanted to help her creatively i mean other other than the reasons you you expressed before is there a poignant specific approach to why you chose to have her played that way or was it just to sort of do something a little different 
I wanted a ghost story that was kind of human. Like we were able to relate to her on a personal level because she was just this kid in love who wanted her happy ending and didn't really get it. Jason, who is the male lead in it, he bears a striking resemblance to her lost love. So when she sees him, she's kind of brought back and all these emotions come up and she doesn't really know how to handle them because like she's been either repressing them or they just haven't existed on like the plane that she's in. When she finally sees Tony or who she thinks is Tony, she's just madly in love again and all she can think about is he's going to be my happy ending. This guy who is in front of me now is my happy ending. That's where she goes with that. So I kind of just wanted to make her just a really human person who just wanted love. She's more of an antagonist than a villain, I guess. With making it such a human human ghost story, uh, that's a weird sentence. Um, Every script sort of has something that it's trying to that its writer is trying to say to the world at large and the audience whether that be something like profound or something simple and just making a quick commentary about the world around them what would you say you're trying to say to the world and i guess the second part of that question is what do you want the audience to take away once they've finished watching the film it has a okay a bit of it is love is timeless (laughs) which It's kind of corny, but you know, like even after life and after all that, love will carry through. You've made it halfway through the podcast. We're just going to take a short break to play some cool tunes and we will be right back. said we'll see you on or, or, or you said we're still on the other side my screen started to dim and i was like what are you, what's happening and welcome back from intermission um melissa there's often a thread that we have discovered in these other postmortems, and that it's the idea that this film and the previous films that our guests have done it's been a story that they've carried with them through multiple years and i'm what i'm wondering is is this a story that you've been telling in various ways, be it different films, different short stories, over a long time? Or is this something that was brand new for the first time this year? I would say brand new, but I like because I haven't carried it through any of the other films that I've done. But I've kind of carried the 
an idea with me for a little while. Um, I just wanted to make a haunted house around, like, story around my house. When I got down to writing, it actually, it, oh, it, the original script is so much different from what happened. Like, they're not even, like, the same characters, not even the same story. And it just, it didn't work. And, but there was a part of it that did work. And it was a backstory of a woman named Anne. And I kind of liked the idea of Anne's world in the 30s. Because she was just going to be, like, a tragic accident that happened in this house. Which is why this house is now cursed. I kind of went away from the whole cursed aspect and went more towards just the haunted and I really wanted to build around Anne, so I kind of built the story around Anne, and then I elaborated to, okay, how did she die? How did she do this? And how can we incorporate her into the modern world? And it kind of just unfolded from there. Do you feel like you've closed the book on this story, or is it a story that you think you might want to reiter reiterate on and tell again in the future, maybe on a larger scale, maybe with a different sort of twist? For this particular story, I think I've closed it up. I think I, yeah, I got everything that I wanted from this story, and it's how I wanted it to be. Um, now, this house, I don't know if I'm closed on this story, but definitely that part of its history I'm closed on. You know, I could do another thing surrounding this haunted house or another timeline, you know, but I think that story and Anne's story is pretty much closed out there. I know we leave it open-ended in a sense, but... I don't know. I feel like if we went too far into it, it wouldn't really work the same way. Um, you mentioned an idea that you've sort of carried around for a while. Why do you feel that it might have took you to this point to be ready, be it uh, creatively or otherwise, to tell this story? Um, well, whenever I think of a story, I kind of just put it down in notes. And then whenever I need to write a script, I kind of just review all these and see what jumps out. And this one, I'd always passed over. But for some reason, this time around, I'm like, you know what? I think it's time for me to do this one. You know, I, I've been sitting on it for a while. I think it's time for me to explore the side of haunted houses. And um, yeah, I... <laughs> I think it was time for me to do it, I think. I suppose everyone's got a story like that at some point that they want to, that it's time to just let it out, I suppose. Um, this question, this next question is for all three of you, and you can go in any order. It's a two-part question. Was there a favorite moment on set, and was there a worst moment? And you can go into as much detail or lack thereof as you want. Uh, well, I'll, start off, I'll start off with um, the worst moment. I'm sure Melissa will agree. It was actually the entirety of a day. Um, it was the first day of shooting. Uh, we did all of the outdoor scenes for the film in a single day, and it was very cold. It was in the, I think it was, it was in the minus 20s, so it, it could have been worse. It was minus 26 without the wind chill. Like, it was bad. I was lied to by the weather app. It told me that that day, for the entirety, like 14 days before, and like all up until like the day before, it was like, it's going to be beautiful this day blue skies and it's gonna be warm not too bad like it was still february so i expected it to be around minus 10 but then it just jumped and it was hell <laughs> it was frozen hell we t we took breaks after every setup because we had to it was like every five minutes we had to it was yeah it was it was really difficult um shooting outside even with 
Like I, I wore like three pairs of socks, like multiple layers of pants and like a, a bunch of layers. And like, I still got cold within like, like a couple minutes. Um, but we, we eventually got everything done. And then after it was pretty re- rewarding feeling because we, we got everything that we needed. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I, I'm glad I wasn't there that day. Fair enough. Oh, good for you. Sounds yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <been> terrible. Um, <laughs> Our poor actors and actresses, though, like they had to like keep their mouths and faces like uncovered. Oh, they they really they were really like really good troopers there. Um, and Sam, our sound recordist, her hands were frozen to the boom pole, like hand warmers weren't helping it was i felt so terrible for you guys you know we survived the stupid pen didn't work on the on the slate the pen did the, not the, work the marker stopped working it got uh, that cold that the pen did not write you know it's cold when the friggin marker goes yeah. nope yeah it was it was pretty brutal but um we got through it and then everything turned out uh more or less i think the way that it was intended and we every, and i think i used most most of everything and uh, i don't i don't think i actually I, I think i used one reshoot that we did outside but that was the next weekend that we got that one um as far as uh, like a favorite mo- moment goes um i think the scene where olivia jack and Anne were all in in their uh all all, all in the room in the, in the, living, the room. living room yeah I think yeah. that was probably one of the one of the more fun scenes to film, especially with the uh, like the candles and how we implemented like the candles into telling the story. Um, and I think that was that was probably like my favorite part of, of everything was uh, was shooting that scene because it was really cool. Plus the lighting was like it's overall the lighting and like lighting the window and everything was was just really nice. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you for that one. That day was really fun to do. The whole candle tricks. At one point, we like had the candles blow out and Luke, you were just there holding a like a big piece of cardboard, just swooshing it from out of camera view. That whole day was just really great. My favorite part of that entire day wasn't even used in a bit, but it was the scene where Jack, um, uh, they were leaving and packing up and then Jack turns to, I forget, what was the, uh, his, his uh, girlfriend's name, the actress? Olivia. 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 Yeah. Yeah, when Jack's like, I don't, I don't know, but like, we're let's get out of here, dude. And he calls her dude in one in one take. <laughs> let's, get the, let's get the oh, fuck oh, out yeah. of here, dude. Is what he says. Yeah, <laughs> which is not the line. Yeah, he says, let's get out of here, dude. And then he turns her around and uh, like, and, like he, he like leaves and then comes around. I was like, what the fuck was that? And like, I have it in the take as well. <laughs> oh. oh, and it was really funny because we decided to do that one scene in just a long shot to try and see if we could do it. You know, like the moving parts. So he just kept going after he said that, and we all wanted to burst out laughing because we're like, what the hell did Jack just say? I guess the last question I have around production before we move into the post-production side of things is, for each of you, if you all should choose to answer, um, but is there something that you'll take away from this production that you'll use or do again? And on the flip side, is there something that you tried that you don't want to try again, ever? Well, um, personally, I learned a lot from this because I am not a director in any sense, but I am a writer, so it did give me a kind of unique perspective to see this whole thing come together because of me. And it really just affirmed me in that I, I can tell stories 
but I can't visually show them the way that I want them to like 100% come out. So I think it may it'll make me a better writer because now I can kind of try and write in a way that I know will help others. And I, I've now with my script that I'm writing for another class, actually, I found myself writing more like an actual script with sound because, you know, I had to go through it, had to like direct and I know how actions and all that work. So it, it was really just rewarding for me as a writer to kind of see the story play out. I think uh, for me, one of the things I took away from Melissa's said um, was I think uh, pro like proper use of slating, but uh, something I think that um, just based because I've I've like worked on the other films as well uh, from our class, and like I've seen a bunch of different styles of of how people are working, directing that kind of thing. Um, slate is important, but I think having like a proper um, like assistant director or someone to go um, like boom or sound camera slate and like get it all in quick unison and keep it organized and keep things on track. I think that um, is crucial as well. Um, also just from like an editing standpoint, sometimes I'd be editing a clip and the, the audio would start uh, or the audio I would have for like a clip would start like a minute before the slate came in or something like that. Um, so I think like we like Melissa didn't have an assistant director, but I think um, in in the future in the future I think uh, having someone even just just dedicated to making sure that everything like that is um yeah that what I learned from other people's sets is yeah that is really important and I oh, I didn't take it into consideration how important it really was but now I know so. <laughs> Yeah, it's a learning process. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's I mean, it's like uh, Andrew was saying, and like um, Andrew was saying, like we're here to to learn, and basically, um, Andrew's our professor, by the way, uh, for our filmmaking class. Um, if people weren't aware, um, he's yeah, he's basically preaching like uh, we're here to learn, we're here to take risks, experiment, like do what you want. It's film school; you can make whatever you want, and it doesn't matter. You're still learning that kind of thing. So I think this is like a really good lesson to have now and then use in Perfect. the future. Perfect. Uh, Luke, what about you? Um, I don't know. A lot of what Will said, it kind of, I don't want to repeat what he said, but like a lot of stuff that he said. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, yeah, I guess slating is super important. Um, I never really used to slate, but like ever since like going through like the, these movies that like, all the guys in film two are shooting, I'm like, oh, like you need to slate. Like it's super important. And like, uh, yeah, I really don't have much else to add. Fair enough. Then I guess now's as good a time as any to uh, transition into the post process. And I, I guess I'll start with our editor, Will. Um, did it begin with uh, a conversation with Melissa in regard to how she wanted to cut the film? Um, take us, take me through that a little bit. Uh, I already had like a decent idea of how she wanted it to to roll, basically. Uh, since I was on set for the entirety of yeah for for the entirety of the production, I was there from except for the reshoots after the fact. There from beginning to end, um, I kind of got the style she was going for and everything. Um, we didn't have like necessarily like, a sit down conversation about it, but like I kind of knew where she was going, and I think uh, what I ended up putting together was more or less what she wanted. Um, there are a couple of things that we did talk about um, in regards to like uh, I think the flashback sequence. 
um, and uh, as well as uh, especially later on in the film, there was uh, one of the things that prompted the reshoots that were done later on um, was in one of the later scenes. If if I might add a spoiler, um, if that's okay with everyone, yeah, spoiler warning. Um, in the <laughs> in the uh, in the scene near the end of the film. Uh, after Anne quote unquote disappears, um, and uh, Jack has supposedly freed her or helped her leave or whatever, um, it goes from like handheld cam, like it's handheld cam for like the entire movie, and then switches to like a tripod, and it's it's such a visual jump. It 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 looked so weird, and then within that tripod spot as well, there was a thing where there's an axis cross where Monica was uh, the actress of Olivia. Um, Monica is, is, her, uh, is her real name um, uh, was was looking the wrong way so I had to flip the clip and like the way it just did not work properly but then they did a reshoot and it's a billion times better um, so yeah those, those were like the two major things that we had to talk about and then there's also um, I think a couple other things I think like some establishing shots like we reshot as well um, but I think it was mostly just those kitchen scenes at the end yeah it was you showed me, you know, what you'd started with, like, your rough. And, you know, we kind of, like, we, we adjusted things together. But you pretty much understood what I was going for the entire time, which is, was really great because I felt so comfortable with you editing my movie, which normally, like, I would only edit myself. But, yeah, you, you just – you nailed it, man. You knew nice. exactly what I wanted and you knew how to get it. Oh, that's adorable. And you fixed those dead pixels. Oh, I know. I was, I was – I was about to get into the dead pixels. <laughs> yeah, um, the dead pixels. If uh, if there's another thing to learn from this experience is uh, always do a camera test on your cameras before uh, before going to set, um, because for over eighty percent of the uh, of the movie, I'd say probably even over ninety percent. Well, you know, I'll say around eighty five percent of the movie. Um, there were four major dead pixel splotches on on the screen and they were considerably noticeable and uh as part of editing i went in and i fixed 99 percent of them there's one scene where i couldn't because it kind of broke the movie a little bit in a weird way um basically i had sped up that clip so it would be better uh and they look better and then like tell the story better kind of thing but when i threw in after effects to try to clean up the pixels it like turned it into like half of like added like an extra half frame or something it was super weird and i couldn't really fix it um and then basically uh what ended up happening was i was going through each one of the clips individually um and uh i was trying to fix them all manually uh each each like basically frame at a time using like uh, clamps and like that kind of thing or stamps or whatever uh, the term is I forget off the top of my head um, and it wasn't working super well and then uh, uh, Sam the person who was doing the audio was telling me oh I should go look to see if there's an easier way and I was um, like oh yeah you're probably right I should go do that and there was um, uh, After Effects has this tool called uh, I think wire removal tool or something like that um, and I, I I saw it in, the, in a YouTube video and some guy used it to move remove dead pixels and then it worked. It worked basically. It worked perfectly. Um, it, it got rid of it like no problem after a bit of adjusting, 
and then because all the dead pixels were in the same spot throughout all the clips because it was from the camera itself and like something wrong with the sensor I uh, created an animation preset that I could just load onto every single shot um, so it's it saved me so much time so I just I just found all the spots saved it as a preset and then loaded it on and I replaced like almost like most of the clips with After Effects projects. Oh, that's handy. How, how does that work? Like, how does that effect work? Does it just take the, the pixels from outside the dead pixel and puts the median in between it? How does that, how does that work? Uh, I, th I think that's how it works, because what you can do is you, you, like, you find where the wire is or whatever, or I guess in this place, case, the dead pixel, and then you put a marker on either side of it, and then what it does is it tries to cover the dead pixel, I think, based off like the colors around it. Is I think how it works, although I'm not 100 percent sure. That you can like, you can like change like, uh, like how it looks and stuff like that. Uh, so I found a setting that kind of worked universally through the entire thing, and then I used that, um, and it it does work really well. And in the future, it will definitely be a handy tool to have in my kit um, as far as editing goes. If I ever need to fix something like that ever again. Cool. Um. I guess the last question before uh, we wrap for tonight was it important that you that things be told um, linearly as they were written, or was there room to play with the structure of the story in the post? Well, yeah, there was definitely changes from you know production to post. Uh, I think one of the main things was we took out uh, a big reveal of Jack's or Jack uh, Jason's face, the actor's Jack. Uh, we had a scene, scene eight, where it was when, or scene, I guess, seven, eight, nine, where Anne sees Jason, and then it flashbacks to, uh, her with her fiancé, who is Jack or Jason, and we took that out because it didn't really fit, it, it didn't look how we wanted it to, it kind of took you out of the intimate moment that they were having in the scene. And, you know, it was a big kind of shift because, like, the whole thing re didn't rely on it, but it was kind of built around, like, this huge reveal that he looks exactly like this person, you know? So we kind of took that part away from it, I guess. But Well, I think it's, I mean, you can kind of tell, like, um, it's told through the dialogue. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like people if if someone misses out on the fact that they that they look the same or she's mistaking Jason for Tony, then like they either the, the sound was off or like they weren't really paying attention mm -hmm. because like it's it's still it's still pretty explicit as far as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, what happened was we did like we had a really sweet moment uh near the end, spoilers I guess. Um where Anne and Jason kiss, and after, or b right before, uh, Anne sees Jason as Tony in this uniform, and it's like a nice, slow moment that I really, really enjoy. Um, he looks in his uniform, like he, he's actually wearing his uniform, so it's like you kind of get into Anne's head a bit for this moment, and see what she's seeing, and like kind of understand her perspective a little bit more in that moment, which is... Which worked really well. Yeah. Um, like what happens is uh, Jason's character grabs Anne's hands and, they start, and they're holding hands standing there. And then it's, it's showing the camera's on, on their hands and it pans up to Anne's face like pretty slowly. And she's smiling. And then it reverses to, to Jason who's now wearing like the, the uniform. 
then pans down back to the hands. And it's the the whole shot, like just of that part right there, lasts maybe 15 seconds or yeah. so. Um, but it works really well because it's it gives us an idea of what Anne is seeing um, and what this means to her. So yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. I'd, I'd agree too. Yeah, and it was like it was the first contact too, because that was the first time that Jason reached out for her, you know, and like that was the first time like they really like touched and yeah. Well, well, there was well there there was that that part earlier where like he starts moving towards her and she or yeah she backs away and then blows so, out um, all the candles in the room because she got spooked. Yeah, like she he yeah. spooked her. So this is like uh yeah yeah she allowed him. You know, to take her hand and, you know, her reality was kind of met in that moment, which was really nice for her. And then, you know, the next scene got darker. But in that moment, it was really sweet. Yeah, It wouldn't it wouldn't be a a horror film without a death, a death or or twist twist. (laughs) or or, or, or a twisty death or a twisty takeover. On that note, I'm going to I'm going to thank you all for. joining me this evening and uh, I'm just going to go around the room and you can let everybody know if and where they can follow you on social media. And I'm going to start with you, Melissa. Uh, yo, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Melissa123465 because I'm very original with my <laughs> username. Uh, yeah, Melissa Kennedy everywhere. I just want to say thanks to all my cast and crew. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. Just throwing that out now. Uh, yeah, you can't really you, find me anywhere. <laughs> do you have a, a Vimeo or anywhere anybody can see content of yours? Oh, uh, I have a YouTube, which is, it's under the same thing as my Twitter handle. If you dare to go in there, you'll find old high school videos that I made. And just straight up old school me talking to a camera laptop in my room when I was in high school. So we'll uh, we'll uh, stick that in the uh, show notes. Oh fuck! Enjoy. Uh, it's it's great. I'm just gonna go make all of those private real quick. <laughs> nice. There you go. Uh, Luke, go ahead. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am Lukey Lunchables. Um, Hell yeah. yeah. You can uh, follow me on Vimeo. I'm Luke Roach. Uh, I also have a Vimeo with me and a couple of my film buddies called Hench Life. You can find it on there, and I guess just to pimp some stuff out coming up in the future. The Wendy Awards are coming up for the Winnipeg Film Group. Uh, a movie I made is getting nominated for a thing there, so go check that out. That's winnipegfilmgroup.com, and you can kind of find out all the information about the Wendy Awards there. Uh, and, yeah. Congrats, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, yeah. Getting up there. I know. And, uh, Will, how about you, friend? Um... Well, uh, I have an Instagram. Um, I think it's at William Clip. You can go like my one picture. Um, <laughs> nice. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's, what is it of? What's that? What's the picture of? It's a picture of me wearing, uh, wearing a mask. Oh, right. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so I want to see how many likes that can get. So uh, go, go inflate my ego. Um, nice. And then also... Uh, I have I have a YouTube channel. I think it's just like I think it's WK or like William Clippenstein or something like that. I have a bunch of movies that I made earlier or last year, um, and then earlier this year I guess or or right, earlier this school year. Uh, I have my 92nd film that I made. Um, but yeah, I have some movies on there. That'll be in the show notes as well. Um, on that note, thanks again everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.
Bye. Hey, it's Miranda from the Around the Craft Table team, and you've just heard a postmortem of Melissa Kennedy's new film, Haunted. This week's episode was executive produced and directed by Miles A. Taylor. It was executive produced and edited by myself, Miranda Morose. It featured Miles, Luke Roach, William Klippenstein, and Melissa Kennedy as a guest. This week's music was all done by DJ Quads. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week and hope you stick around for next week where we're going to showcase some of the rad interviews we had with many of the talented filmmakers who attended the IOU Video Festival on March 25th. We're pretty excited for you guys to hear all those conversations that we had about the experiences they had on set, uh, their process, and the relationships they fostered while making the films. We hope to start some conversations with you all, our listeners, about filmmaking, and uh, hope you enjoy the next episode. Um, See you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.